You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Wow, what a blessing. That's wonderful, amen. I love hearing that violin, and uh, man, the, the thing about the work that she has to do to put, I, I want to uh, comment her on her talent, which she has, but uh, man, I wouldn't want to take away the work it takes to be able to uh, make that beautiful music, amen. Well, the kids know the drill. They're dismissing the junior church. If uh, For those that are going to go back with them, there goes Chad. Uh, but, uh, amen. Well, if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number 7, and as you're turning over to the book of Nehemiah, i got to tell you about a story, something that happened to me once when I was uh, younger, uh, when I was, it was actually my first year of high school, my very first year of high school, I, uh, you know, nervous, it was a brand new school, and for those that go to school, say like in Elk Point or, uh, you know, the smaller schools, my school was di- a little bit different from the school that you uh, may go to, you know, there was a couple, couple 300, probably my graduating class, so, uh, but so I, I, the very first day of high school, I walked into my very first class, and I took a seat at an open desk, all right, just like nothing unusual about that, uh, and as I sat there, you know, just, just moments before class started, I, I, I started kind of looking around, and I, I thought to myself, like, man, I, I thought there'd be more people here that I would know, you know, like, People that I had just, you know, it was a few different, it was a few different junior highs that were coming into this high school, but I thought there'd be at least be some kids that I remembered from junior high, but no, there was none in there, so I'm like, okay, I, I guess that's all right, but then I noticed something else about it. I noticed that all the kids were quite a bit bigger than me. They looked a little bit older than me, and I thought, well, man, this is kind of different, too. Well, while I'm trying to take all of this in, uh, I, all of a sudden, and I also noticed something else. 
there was a few of them that were looking at me kind of strangely, like they didn't know who I was and know that I belonged there. But no matter, uh, I, I was ready to get started. And uh, so the teacher stood up and she introduced herself. And I looked at the little schedule I had in my hand, and I'm like, well, that's not the name of the teacher of my first period class. And then she announced the class, and I believe it was, uh, you know, uh, senior English or whatever it was. And I'm like, well, that sure ain't my class. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be in basket weaving or, you know, something to that effect. <laughs> well, then she proceeded to call the roll. All right. She started calling the roll. And obviously, again, I'm a little slow by this time, but I was pretty certain that this was definitely not the class I was supposed to be in. But I'm ignorant enough to know that I sat there and I thought, maybe my name's going to be on this list, you know. Uh, you know, Brad Banks, present, you know. Uh, Ralph Johnston here, and they just started going down the line. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, uh, let my name be on there. It was full. I knew it wasn't, but there was just a part of me that's just like, man, I don't want to be exposed here. Well, finally, she got all the way through the list, and of course, my name never came up. And I can still remember to this day her, and I was sitting over on this left-hand side of the classroom, and I can just still remember to this day her looking over there at me and said, now, where, who are you and where are you supposed to be? And I think she had figured out that it was my first day of high school, probably just by looking at me. And, and, and I looked at my schedule and say, I'm supposed to be in such and such a class. And, and, and so shamefully, I stood up and, and walked out of the classroom feeling like the biggest idiot ever. Uh, and of course, there was some, a few chuckles and laughs uh, from these seniors as I walked out, which made it all that uh, much better. Later that day, the girls' volleyball team threw me in the lake. And no, they didn't, that didn't happen. But... Uh, but, but what I'm trying to say to you, that it was embarrassing to find out that I was in a place where I wasn't supposed to be, that my name was not on the roll. And in a moment, I want to talk to you about and asking the question, is your name written down? Is your name on the roll? Is your name on the roll? All right, so here we go. We're going to do roll call. You ready? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, not, not a roll that I have today, but what I want to show you is that there's a roll that God has. God has names written down. And we're going to see that in a moment. In, in the book of Nehemiah, we see that there's a, a, a sort of a roll call here in the book of Nehemiah. And just like me, or just like in my scenario that I gave, most of the people that are in this roll call are saying here, here, here. They're all recognized. They all belong. But as he gets down toward the end, sure enough, there's a few people to where they say, so where are you guys at? You, you, you guys don't belong here. You, you're, you're guy, your name is not on the roll. And, uh, and so look with me quickly in Nehemiah chapter number 7, and we'll see the beginning of this roll call. And then I want to kind of back up for a moment and give you the big picture that I believe connects to the message. But in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 4 through 6, Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. And my God put into mine heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. So I was put on schedule to be in a certain class, not that English class. But in this role, he's looking at people by their genealogy. What is, what, what, what is your birth record? Uh, what is your relation? And notice what it goes on to say. Um, verse 6. 
These are the children of the province that went up to the captivity and those that had been carried captive that those had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and came again to Jerusalem and to Judah, everyone into his own city. And then beginning in verse number 7, uh, I'm going to tell you something about every one of these people all the way down to verse number 60. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but beginning in verse number 7, all the way down through there, basically you just have the record of the genealogy of these people. And we just have name after name after name, their genealogy. Now, if you'll just allow me to, for a moment, I think sometimes it really is good to ask the question, okay, preacher, I came to church on Sunday morning, and I'm spending this time here with you. Why should I care about some Jew from 2,500 years ago that's building a wall? And why should I care about a bunch of other Jews that are getting their names called on some roll, and some of them's names written down and some of them's not? And I think that's a legitimate question. Because what I just want to do is just kind of back up for a second and try to remind you of the big picture. Okay, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And as we've gone through, we've kind of gone in with a real close look. Highlighting some of the more important biblical principles that apply to our lives today. But it's been a while since we've taken a step back and considered the big picture. Again, who are these people? Why are they so important? Why does this matter to me today? So here's the big picture. And I'm going to give you the, a pretty big picture, but I'm going to try to give it to you quickly. We're going back to the Garden of Eden. God created man in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, and when God created man, we understand that God would come and meet with man. Apparently, God would come and walk with Adam in the cool of the day. Isn't that just a beautiful picture? God makes man. He, he comes down and he visits with him, fellowships with him. Because the fact of the matter is, God created us to have a relationship with us. But now, here's kind of the way it goes. Uh, Adam is walking with God, God Almighty, the Creator, uh, the one that you and I can still know today, the one who is still seeking us today. And if you can just get this picture of people walking. Uh, uh, hey, Hawker, would you come walk with me a second? Come on up here because I, I don't want to have him to... Well, we'll come down here. We'll make him move the camera around. Okay. So here we are walking. So just imagine I'm going to let Hawker be God. You never knew he had a mullet, did you? But, uh, uh, and then I'm going to be Adam. And so here we are walking. So walk with me. And here it is, man. We're just having a great time. We're friends together. Just get this image in your mind. We're walking together, okay? Me, me walking with God, God walking with me. But now what happens if all of a sudden I start veering off this way? Now, you keep going. You keep going your way. And I start going this way. That's kind of what Adam does. Come on back, Hawker. All right, but here's the, here's the thing that's cool. Because eventually God comes back and says, hey, hey, Adam, if you don't walk with me, man, you're going to get in trouble. I've, I've laid out some guidelines for you because I want to bless you and I want to keep this relationship strong. And as you know, the, the simple thing was God told Adam, just, just avoid the tree, one tree, enjoy the thousands of other trees. Just avoid the one, all right? But what does Adam do? Adam willingly takes of the tree. Eve is deceived, Adam willingly takes of the tree. So when he does that, it breaks the fellowship. But thankfully, God comes in mercy and grace to rescue Adam. And he made a sacrifice there in the garden so that they could begin to walk together again. But now these things are different because of sin and sacrifice. It's not quite the same walk that he had. So he begins to walk with man. So he, he, he walked with Adam. Now uh, Enoch comes along. He's another biblical patriarch. He's able to come along. And man, now Enoch is walking with God. God comes and walks with Enoch. 
And then, then God comes and walks with a man by the name of Abraham. But so God is God's having a relationship with people. But the problem with people as a whole, you have people like Enoch, you have people like Abraham. But the problem with people as a whole is God wants to come walk with people. But the problem is people keep going the other way. And God says, hey, walk with me in the path of blessing. Walk with me in the path of life. Because if you don't, what's, all that's left out there is judgment. All that's left out there, because when we go against the way that God wants us to go, we're going into sin. And something that's just attached to sin is judgment. If you could think of judgment this way, God said, you still good with me? You seem cool. He hates, he hates being the center of attention. Can't you just tell? Uh, is, is that right, Gunner? That's not right, is it? Uh, but, uh, but listen, he, he, God, God said this. God said it this way, okay? He said, I set before you this day. He said this to Israel, but it, it, the, the application is there. I set before you this day. And here's God. He says, I set before you life, and I set before you death. I set before you blessing, and I set before you cursing. And God says, choose life. We use that as a pro-life verse, and, and that works. But he's, he's talking to all of us. Choose life. Choose the path of blessing. So God says, go this way with me. Life, blessing. But what happens when you keep walking that way, and then I start walking this way? Well, God's already told me. This is the path of death and cursing. And then I get mad at God because God's going that way, and why am I going through such, and why am I having judgment? Because I'm not walking with God. You can come on back, Hawker. But, but that's what happened. So, so man began to walk with God, but most men just kept going. Most men would choose sin, choose wrong. Now, here's the great thing about God. God, in His grace and mercy, God would come and redeem man. God still comes and seeks man. So God had this plan. So God, when He went to Abraham, He told Abraham, Evie, He told Abraham that what God was going to do was make a family with Abraham. So Abraham's, uh, so uh, God walked with Abraham. Abraham walked with God, you might say. But when it came to his grandson, uh, uh, Jacob, that Jacob, he said, Jacob, I'm going to give you 12 sons. And from your family, I'm going to make a nation. See, because Jacob's other name was Israel. Israel. And so your 12 sons are going to become 12 tribes. 12 uh, bigger families, and you're going to grow into this nation. And, and, and when you become a nation, I'm going to give you a set of laws that are going to help you walk in the way you ought to walk. I'm going to make it clear for you so that you can walk in the path of blessing. Okay, And not only that, I'm also going to give you a tabernacle. They were traveling, moving people because they were leaving Egypt. They were sojourning until they got to the promised land. And so God said, I'm going to give you the tabernacle. I'm going to give you this big tent. And I'm not just going to come walk with you. I'm actually going to come live among you. Now we know that God dwells in the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain Him and so forth. But His presence would come down here and He would live among the children of Israel. And this is where they could do something. That way everybody had a chance to meet with God. Everybody had an opportunity to meet with God, to have, a, to have some form of fellowship and, and relationship with God of the universe. And this was supposed to do something else. God said, I'm going to make this nation, the children of Israel, Jacob's children, this family, I'm going to make you into a nation and I'm going to give you this tabernacle so that... The, the, the other nations around you that are worshiping wood and stone and, and all these falls, that they'll see that I'm the true God 
and that they'll see that there's a true God that they need to have a relationship with so that they too can walk in this way. In other words, at the heart of God is the redemption of all mankind. So this is what he's working to do. Come meet with me. Come meet with me. And then later, what happens is that when David becomes the king, he, he picks the city of Jerusalem, and God picks the city of Jerusalem and says, okay, rather than just having a tabernacle where we meet with God, what if I made a temple? God, would you let me make a beautiful temple to where man could meet with you, to where God the Creator could meet with those he loves so much and that he wants to have a personal relationship with, can I do that? But of course, God says to David, I'm not going to let you do it, David, but I'll let you get the materials together and I'll let your son Solomon build this temple. All right? Why did God do all this? He's doing all this to meet with man. He's doing all this so that he'll have a nation that can show all the world, all the other heathen nations from which most of us are a part, to show all of them the one true God. But guess what the problem is? The children of Israel is made up of people. These people have the path of life laid out and blessing, but over here they have the path of cursing and death. And you, know what, you want to know what they did? They turned their backs on God. And they went the wrong way. And as a result of that, God in judgment, and remember God, when He's trying to correct His children, people. God loves His children enough to correct His children, all right? Um, and, and, and he loves the world enough to judge sin. So he corrects his children. He sends judgment. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar came along and uh, took those people out of the city of Jerusalem, out of the nation of Israel, and began to take them to Babylon. And for 70 long years, uh, the, uh, they, they were away from their land. But I'm going to tell you something happened. Not long after he began to take Jews out of, Babel, out of Israel... I say the Jews. The Jews technically are those that come from the tribe of Judah. And the reason we call them the Jews is that many of the northern tribes through as time went on, many of the northern tribes were that, that they, they had separated and become and the, uh, the Assyrians had come in among the, uh, the other ten tribes especially of Israel and that's where the Samaritans came from. And they lost a lot of their heritage. So most of the people that were able to hold on to their heritage could trace their tribe back to Judah because Judah was a more faithful uh, you know, branch, uh, a, a tribe, if you will. But when Nebuchadnezzar started taking them, some years after that, he decided he was going to destroy the temple. God allowed this heathen king that he called his servant to destroy the people Destroy the place where God was supposed to meet with His people. Now, why would God allow that to happen? If the temple is so important, why did God allow that to happen? Well, I'll just jump ahead of myself here to say this, because the people, got it, they, the people started mis messing it up. They thought it was the building. They thought it was the laws. They thought it was the ceremonies. And they were missing that personal relationship, so God allowed it to be destroyed... But God in mercy, and, uh, and just getting you ahead to where we are in the book of Nehemiah, God in mercy, well, I'll get you actually not quite up to that point yet. God in mercy allowed the first group of Jewish exiles, they left Babylon for Judah, or for Judea, in 538 B.C. So that's when King Cyrus, now the Persian king that kind of usurped the Babylonian king, he allowed the Jews, and he, he actually commissioned the Jews under Zerubbabel, 
Ezra, the book of Ezra, the prophet Haggai that you find in your Bible, the prophet Zechariah, they were all around during the time when, uh, well, this is actually, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anybody lost besides me? Okay, let me get back here. Cyrus allowed uh, these Jews to go back, yes, that's correct, Ezra and the rest of them, to go back and begin to rebuild the temple. Okay? Rebuild the temple. Again, watch the whole point. God is trying to have a physical witness and, and a lesson for the whole world. For the Jews, I'm not done with you, and I want you to be a light to the world. They built the temple. Some, a decade or so goes by, and then God lays it on Nehemiah's heart. Not just, now the temple's been rebuilt, but now we need to be, build walls around the entire city of Jerusalem. So that's what Nehemiah goes and begins to carry out. Okay, so when he began to build this, then think about this, this is kind of cool. Where we're at in Nehemiah right now, the walls are completed. They just finished the walls, they're finishing the gates. And now, 450 years after where we're reading, the Lord Jesus Christ will be carried as a baby through these same gates, into these same walls, and be dedicated there, and be circumcised there at this temple that was rebuilt. And it will be in and out of these same walls and into this city that the Lord Jesus Christ is walking. And that the book of Zechariah, remember Zechariah, he, he, he said that the Lord will come to you lowly and, and, and riding upon an ass. And he prophesied Palm Sunday. And so that was the same walls, the same place. And so 450 years later, but here's the problem. The person who is now coming here is coming, remember, he is coming, and He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God in the flesh. He's the Messiah. He's the one that all of these things, the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifices, all of this was pointing and trying to teach them about someone else who would come. In fact, in the Gospel of John chapter number 1, the Bible says, and the Word became flesh, talking about Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelt among us. That word dwelt is literally the word for tabernacle. Which later became the temple. The place where you meet with God. In other words, what we find out, and this is where the message ultimately leads to today, and why it matters to you, is because Jesus is teaching us that if you want to meet God, you've got to meet Jesus. Amen? And He's come to seek and to save that which was lost, just like when I had Hawker up with me. I, I, as a human, kept wandering off, but God in mercy kept trying to redeem me. Yes, there's judgment, there's death, there's all these things down this road, but God is trying to get me back in that relationship with Him. So, the nation, however, of Israel, did they accept Jesus? Did they say, hey, this is wonderful that we have Jesus here now? No. They rejected Him. And you talk about taking the wrong road. They rejected the Messiah and turned him over to the hands of the Romans. They wanted to stone him and kill him, but they, 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 they broke so many of their laws that they couldn't even pull it off, so they turned him over to the Romans so that they could, he could be crucified there. And so he was crucified right outside of these same walls that we're reading about today. The nation rejected him. Now, the way the, the story goes on, the story is still being written about Israel because what we know is that that temple was destroyed just a few years later, about, you know, probably about uh, 30, 40 years after this. The, the temple that Jesus is walking in, the, and, and the walls there, all destroyed. Well, except for one. You can still go see the platform. You can go see a wall over there today. 
But overall, it was destroyed. The Jews were dispersed around the world until 1948. They became a nation again. And the story that I'm telling you is still being written today. The story that I'm telling you is still an ongoing story that's still being written today. uh, And God's not done with Israel. However, I told you all that to say this. That Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 19, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple uh, in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am the place where you can meet God. Now we know Jesus isn't a place, but what he was saying is, I am God. I am the tabernacle and the temple. And and the tabernacle and the temple were just lessons to teach you about my coming. So that's why, as we look here in the book of Nehemiah, we can see that throughout the Bible, there's just this story of redemption. And throughout the story, there's a lot of other things that we learn. But all along the way, we just keep running in to redemption. We keep running in to Jesus Christ. We keep running in to His plan and His purpose for the world. And so, that's why today, this matters to us. Having a relationship with Jesus. That's that's what it comes down to. All this time, God's wanting to walk with man. God's wanting to have a relationship with man, but man keeps going astray, going astray, going astray. You think about that. God said, hey, I love you so much, I want to come walk with you. Man sins and kind of ruins that. Then God says, you know what? Fine. I'm not just going to come walk with you. I'm going to come live with you. I'm going to put my house right next to yours, and I'm going to live right in your neighborhood with the tabernacle, so to speak. Man sins and messes that up. So finally God says, okay, I'll do, I'll do you one better. I'm going to actually take on the form of man and I'm going to come be among you. I'm going to come preach to you. I'm going to come do miracles among you. How did man respond to that? Killed him. Think about that. You talk about rejecting God. What does God do in grace? I had Hawker, remember Hawker, I kept going these different directions, but Hawker kept coming back. He kept coming back to, to, to meet me. He kept coming back to seek and to save. And that's why Jesus said, he, come. he said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what he said, and that's what he does. So, so now what does God do? God says, not only did I, I tried to walk with you, ruin that. I tried to live with you, you ruin that. I tried to come and dwell among you as a person. You killed me. He had to lay down his life. You couldn't have killed him, amen. But he laid down his life. So what does he do after that? He says, okay then, here's what I'll do now. Since I've shed my blood, since I've died on the cross, I can forgive you of your sins. And I can come in, not walk with you, not live in your neighborhood, not be a man actually walking that you can see and touch. I'm going to come live inside of you. Okay, God, what's the catch? No catch. You just simply need to turn and say, you know what? Rather than sin and death, Jesus, I want you to come be my Savior. I'm not looking for religion. I'm not looking for good works. Jesus, I accept what you've done. And He comes, dwells inside of man. Ain't that good news? Doesn't it seem like every man everywhere in the world would just say, wonderful. He wants to fellowship. He wants to have a relationship with me so much, He actually wants to come live in me? That's exactly what He wants to do. That's what salvation is. How does man respond to that? Mm. That's something. Think about it. They laugh, they jeer, they mock. 
They blaspheme. But praise God, there's a few. Amen? With the message going out, that accept Him as their Savior. Amen? And He comes lives on the inside. And so that's why as we look at this, we see again the temple that, and, and the walls that, that Nehemiah is trying to build around the temple all lead us to something. So throughout all of this, there really are very practical things that we can learn through the book of Nehemiah. But I just want to make one more application today to our text. And then uh, I just want to give you this application. Then I want to call it good today, all right? And the answer is, is your name written down? I've given you the background. They're, they're, they're calling these names, these people that are trying to be a part of the temple, trying to be a part of the city, trying to be a part of this place where they meet God. And then you get down to verse number 61 of chapter 7, and that's where it gets awkward, like me sitting in that senior English class. And as you can, some of you are wondering, preacher, you never did go back to that English senior class, did you? Um, by, the way, my, uh, by the way, my talk and my vocabulary and stuff. But uh, look at verse number 61 of Nehemiah 7. The Bible says, these, And these were they which went also up from Telmelah, and tell Herasha and Cherub, Adon and uh, Emmer, but they could not show their father's house nor their seed whether they were of Israel. So they could not show their genealogy. They could not show their birth records. The children of Delilah, the children of Tobiah, the children of uh, Nakoda, 642. And the priest the children of Habiah and the children of Kaz and the children of Barzillai, which took one of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, to wife and was called after their name. These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore, they were as polluted, put forth from the priesthood. And you can go on and read uh, through there. So again, most of this chapter, it's a happy story. But this one isn't so much. See, it's really important that we are all a part of the family of God. And so these people were at the temple. They were at the church. In fact, they actually had guys that were asking as, acting as priests, if you will. You could, you could imagine that may be in a modern-day preacher, you know, if you're looking at an equivalent or something. Can I tell you something? Not everybody that stands up and preaches whatever it is they're preaching is necessarily a Christian. Would that shock you to know that? You know what Jesus said? He said that there's going to be many that say to me in that day. In Matthew 7, He said there's going to be many that say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name done many wonderful works. But then Jesus said, but then will I profess unto them in that day, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. These weren't people that were once saved. People said, oh, well, they, they were prophesying, they were preaching. They must have been Christians. Not necessarily. Just because somebody is smiling and has a Bible and a tie or, or a t-shirt and jeans, whatever it is, just because somebody claims to be a Christian and, and is a preacher doesn't necessarily mean they're a Christian. Uh, you say, preacher, that sounds judgmental. No, it's just the truth. It's something you ought to know. But, but that's the case here. These priests didn't belong. You've got to make sure you're in the family of God. And it did not matter. These people could have said, wait, 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 wait. No, no. I, I belong here. I belong here. But they didn't have a record. They couldn't prove it. Now, here, here's, this kind of begs the question. Well, okay, preacher, hold on a second. 
Who do I got to prove this to exactly? Um, well, you don't have to prove it to me. I'll tell you that right now, okay? Uh, I, I, I'd love to hear your testimony, but you're not trying to prove to me. But what you need to do is you just need to be able to settle between you and God that you know Christ as your Savior. Because it don't matter if everybody around me thinks I'm a Christian. See, we, we, live in a, in a, in a, we live in a great country, by the way, don't we? And I understand that there's, there's a lot going against our country, and I understand it's not the country it used to be. Um, but I say that we live in a great country because our country has been so influenced by Christianity. But a lot of times the problem is, is it's also become a very religious country to where there's a lot of people that just because they're religious, they equate that to being a Christian. How many people just say, oh, I was born a Christian. I, I was born into the Baptist church. I was born into the Catholic church. I was born into the Lutheran church. I'm a, I've been a Christian my whole life. Now, I understand that somebody can say I've been a Christian my whole life in the sense that they've been raised in a Christian home their whole life. I understand that. But what I'm telling you is that just because you were raised in church of any sort does not mean that that does not make you a Christian. You know, I think it was Billy Sunday that said uh, something along the lines of, you know, if you, if you could stand in a garage all you want to, but it doesn't make you a car, right? Uh, he said something along those lines. And so, just being in the church doesn't make you a Christian. Again, what did I say earlier? Man, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He died on the cross. He rose again the third day. He, he offers a simple salvation to us. Will you receive me and me alone? Will you trust me and me alone? The part that gets people is me and me alone. You know, in some other countries, you know, it's interesting. There's an interesting parallel here, I think. There's a lot of other countries where people have to be careful when they present Jesus Christ and the gospel to people. When they're, a, when they're a nation that has a bunch of gods they worship. Because what they say is, there are some of these other nations that are actually willing to add another god. Oh, oh Jesus died and, and I need to trust in Him? Okay, I'll make Him one of my gods too if I need to, if that's what it takes. That's not the way it works, Okay? But I think there's a lot of people in America that do the same thing. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, so I, I need to, I need to uh, believe in the Lord for, for, as my Savior. You know, well, I've been baptized, and, I, and I'm, I'm a part of the church, but you know, if I need to throw that on top, I'll just do that too. Not the way it works. It works when we're just like, oh my gosh. None of this other stuff does me any good at all. None of these other gods do me any good at all. I need Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, and so... That, that's, that, that's where this gets down to, genealogy. Uh, and, and you say, what in the world are you talking about genealogy? I'm glad, by the way, our first birth isn't all that important to God, aren't you? I mean, it's hard to have the second birth without the first. Uh, but I'm glad that Jesus doesn't look and, at us today and say, hey, what, what kind of family were you born into? What kind of people, what kind of people you come from? Because I'd be in a, some kind of mess, I'm telling you. Uh, but, 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 but God doesn't do that. But that second birth does matter. See, Jesus said in John 3, 3, you must be born again. So that's where I'm talking about your genealogy. Are you a part of the family? Have you been born again? And we don't use that term around here very often. We always use the word saved a little bit more. But it's the exact same thing. Because being born again is when the Word of God, the seed of God's Word and the seed of God's Spirit unite as they work through your heart and your mind 
and you see your need for Christ and you believe on Christ and Jesus says there's a new birth that takes place when you're saved. You are born again. So, these people needed to be able to prove that they were of the right family. So I ask you today, have you been born again? If not, the good thing about this is these people had to take a hike, man. These people had to get up like I did out of the classroom and shamefully, those priests, think about this, those priests had to take off their garments and walk away, shamefully. But the good news is that's not the way Jesus does it, amen? The good news with you is you have the opportunity to get born into the family of God because God's not willing that any should perish. So you can be in the family of God. But here's the, the main thing. You need to do it before there's an ultimate reckoning. In other words, there's, there is your name Everybody's name is written down by God. Did you know that? There's a book of life. There's, there's a book of people that are living. God has several books. Did you know that God had books? And God wrote books. God has, God's meticulous. God has books and every one of our names are in it. There, there's a general book that, that all the living, there, our names are in there. And before we're saved, especially all the things that we're doing are being written down and recorded and, and those will be rehearsed. But when you get saved by the grace of God, your sins and those things are taken off the record and your name's put in a new book. Man, is this crazy talk or what? I, I'm just thinking of how I sound and if you've never heard this or not. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says and I'll share with you one. But there's several references about the book of life and then there's several references about the Lamb's book of life in the Word of God. But there's coming a time when God's going to go through the names. Alright? And here's the point. These people, they had to go away. They had to depart from God and depart from the temple, okay? And really for the priest, I think they just had to depart from the service. They could still be a part of, you know, uh, of the city and everything, but they weren't able to be in that role. But here's the thing. You've got to make up your, your decision on this side of death, on this side of eternity, that's for sure. The Bible, and I'm going to fa fast forward way ahead. By the way, who keeps the records? You know what, I, I, I just can't help but wonder, there was a lot of people that they couldn't find their records. You've been in a situation like that? Uh, somebody not been able to find your records? If you're uh, my age and older, you know, maybe somebody, they were on paper records, not on file, and they couldn't find records. Uh, they can find records a little bit easier today. Uh, but they couldn't find, there's probably some of these people that were actually related, man. They probably really were, but they just couldn't prove it. Whoever was keeping the records dropped the ball. Somebody's grandpa was old Grandpa Jesse, and he forgot where he put it and didn't get it put in the right place, and here's my poor grandchild somewhere that's now getting kicked out of the priesthood. Uh, I don't know who's keeping the records for these people, but I know who's keeping the records for you and I. Amen? And, and that is God Almighty, all right? So is your name written down? I, I want to share with you this passage of Scripture, and then I want to bring it down to a close today. Revelation 20, verse 11. This is after the tribulation period. This is after the thousand year reign on the earth. But this is the day that's coming. And here's what John saw in the future. He said, And I, John, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And listen here, the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'll try to explain this to you very briefly and simply as I can. And then we'll be dismissed. The books are open. Now now, now what's happened here? The Bible is very clear for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. The people we're reading about, there's a record of their sins written down. Sins that have not been forgiven. What that tells us is, this is a group of people who have not been born again, who have not asked Jesus, Lord, will you forgive me of these sins? You know, that we have. You forgive me of my sin, my sin of unbelief, my sin of not knowing you. That, so, so, because, but for those who are saved, so if you're here today and you are saved, you have received Christ as your Savior, there's great news. Because the Bible says that your sins were all judged at Calvary. They were all judged at the cross. And so that if you were to die today, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the moment that your body, that you close your eyes in death here, your body is buried, burned, whatever happens to it, your soul goes to be with the Lord right away. And there's a judgment coming for us, quote unquote judgment. We, we have a little negative connotation with that word. But, but it, it, it's like the judgment at the Olympics. It's the Bema seat. When we're judged, not according to, not, not by our sin, but our service for the Lord. And we, we're rewarded and we'll suffer loss. But ultimately, uh, it, it's to determine our rewards in heaven. Okay? That's if you're saved. What happens if you die and you're not saved? The Bible gives an example of that too. For the saved person... Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But we have an example in Luke 16 of a man who died. And the Bible says he was buried and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And he described, the, he described the heat and he described the flames and he described all this awful, awful stuff. That's what happened to this man who went this way. Who, who rejected God and went this other way. He died, the rich man... This particular man, we don't have, have, have his name, but he lift up his eyes in hell. And you want to know something? That rich man is still in hell today. But what we're reading about in, in, in Revelation 20, I don't know if you've ever been to jail or not, if you know how jail works. Usually just about everybody that's arrested for just about anything. I mean, the worst uh, serial killers ever when they first get arrested, they go to the same jail and they sit in there with the guy that got arrested for driving drunk. They all go to the same holding cell. They all, they all go to jail to where they await trial and sentencing. And then, if found guilty, they're then sentenced to prison. They get their prison sentence. That's kind of like what hell is today. It's a literal place of fire and torment that was not created for you, not created for anyone you know. The Bible says it was created for the devil and his angels. God doesn't want anybody to go there. I've tried to explain that. He's done everything He can to make sure people don't go there. But people do. 
But in this moment, it's sentencing. And they're all caught up out of hell to stand before the judge. That's what's going on here. Their names are in the wrong book. Because that very last verse, Revelation 20 verse 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the, book of, in the Lamb's book of life, in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. That's the eternal sentencing. But God's not willing that any should perish. Remember that. But the question is, really not, as I titled the message, is your name written down? Really the question is, where is your name written down? Because if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've, if you've accepted His wonderful and beautiful and gracious offer of salvation, so simple, He comes right to you, yeah, just let go of all that other junk and, and, and accept me, believe on me. If you've done that, your name was immediately put in the Lamb's book of life. Right then and there. I got good news for you too. God doesn't have an eraser on His pencil. Amen? If you're saved, your sins are forgiven forever. Past, present, future. Now we've got to deal with things that we go through on a regular basis, and that's another story. But your name's written in the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. But if not... Your name's written over here. Jesus died to pay for every one of the sins you ever commit, ever will commit. But when you stand before the judge in Revelation 20, God forbid that anybody listening to me right now will be there. Please, God, please don't let anybody I'm speaking to be there. Because you'll give an account for all those sins before you're sentenced eternally to this awful place. So... I think about what Jesus said. There, there's a great thing to those that are saved. So, so let's all stand. And Danny, if you'd come and play, and we'll be dismissed in a moment. I appreciate your patience today. Where's your name written down at? Is your name written in heaven? If it's not, it can be written down today. I like what Jesus said in Luke 10, 20 to His disciples. He said, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I'll get there in just a moment, but I just really want, want you to search your heart. Now these people in Nehemiah, they were having to prove to Nehemiah their genealogy and their records and all that stuff. There's nobody in here you've got to prove anything to, okay? But I just want to ask you, between you and the God who created you and loves you so much, are you part of the family? Have you received that gift of salvation? Have you accepted Him as your Savior? If not, you can do so right now. Right where you stand today, right where you sit, would you right now, from your heart, would you be willing to confess your sin before God? Dear Lord Jesus, I confess, I'm a sinner. Lord, I pray you'll forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe that what you did on the cross was enough to save me and forgive me. Will you come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior? Lord, I believe on you. I'm trusting in you and you alone. And right now in this moment, I want to thank you. I'm not asking for a sign. I'm not asking for a feeling. But I just want to thank you for saving me. Now, I don't know where you stand today, but if you could pray a prayer for something like that from your heart, you know what you can do? You can rejoice. <laughs> Why? Because your name's written in heaven, and that'll never, ever change. 
Oh, we may fail, we may stumble, but God helps us and gives us grace through all of that. But your name is never removed. Is your name in heaven today? If you're not, will you, if it's not, will you please make sure? You say, preacher, I'm not really sure if it is or not. Please make sure today. Make certain. Make sure you're in the family of God. Because I tell you, it's one thing to be awkwardly, sheepishly walking out of a senior class when you're on your first day of high school. But my goodness, when we're talking about eternity, man, we're talking about a whole, whole lot serious situation. Lord, I'm glad that you did indeed pay it all. Jesus, I'm glad that when you saved my soul, you wrote my name down.